Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging tech, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys, finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these are my focus areas as an independent technology analyst at my company, J. Arnold & Associates. And I'm Chris Fine. I'm a consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another month of Watch This Space. Hope everything's been going well. Indeed. Yes. All good here, Chris. And uh, and, and you too. I know you have, you're leading the charge, I think, this month on the travel and event front. But, you know, we're, uh, we find our paths we do different things in different places and sometimes we cross paths in the same place and we almost did last uh last week and we'll get to that in a moment but uh yeah just to welcome everybody along um just want to share with all that the uh trending for our podcast here continues to go in the right direction so i'm glad to see that from our metrics we are getting ongoing uh you know take up of the new episodes but also that you are dipping into the uh, archive a bit more now, which is great. We're really happy when we see uh, older episodes getting listenership as well. So that tells me we're uh, providing some interesting messaging out there for our followers and listeners, and we're happy to do it. And as always, you know, we really encourage Chris, right? We want your feedback. We want your comments. We're always looking for ways to improve, and there's always new things to talk about and we will, uh, you know, look at anything and everything that makes sense to what's on your minds. But, you know, it doesn't matter, like, which direction you turn, Chris. You blink for a second and there's something new. That's true. I'll second your your statement about also the feedback and suggestions. If there's a topic or an aspect of future of work that we're not covering or we need to cover better or we need to be more clear, we, we welcome the input. We base part of what we do on what we think our audience perception is and what people actually want to hear about. Yep. And, you know, we, we, I won't spend much time on this at all, but we know we have talked recently about chat GPT and the bigger kind of generative AI craze that's going on right now. And, and like Chris, you, you know, you, 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 you go to look outside the window to check the weather and you come back to your, computer and now it's all is about is the pushback against it right all the all the problems that we're anticipating and you know Elon Musk wanting to put a moratorium on AI development and I'm kind of welcoming it because it's good that we are all even this early into it right seeing some of the problems and speaking to you know obviously the dominance of big tech setting the agenda which is very problematic on many fronts but it's really good, I think, this is to me what the internet was built for, right? To enable unfiltered discussion and bringing people together. And in this case, it's actually talking about things that the internet is enabling that may not be so good. I agree. I think that there's a debate on it, but I'm pretty skeptical that it's going to have any real impact on the rollout of this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic to some degree about, I, I worry about some things, aspects of it. And I... I mean, you're looking. I don't know if you've seen it, John. I'll just give you an example, but because um, uh, I know you follow this stuff pretty closely. But there's a 
fairly big headline here last 24 hours about um, BuzzFeed going out, you know, basically getting rid of all its people. And mm -hmm. the reason they're doing it is because chat GPT or some equivalents writing the stories, the, the, the degree of news that they actually want to be in. They weren't really doing, I mean, they had done some classically good investigative reporting in the past, but, you know, most reporting is just kind of reciting what's going on. And uh, I think that they and other news organizations are starting to uh, put the bet on on AI to generate most of that content. And, you know, when you think of that and you think of web page content where you can now start clearly feeling that that's coming more and more from generative AI. It's just, you have to wonder where it's going. Yeah. A very slippery slope. And of course the bottom line is people can't tell the difference anymore, you know, between anything that's real or generated, anything that's sponsored or editorial. And, uh, you know, it, it, we've been, you know, we, we've been on this slide for a long time, actually, when you think about when a lot of news started to shift from the traditional media channels to the internet and killing basically classified advertising and killing community newspapers all of a sudden you know it's it's like once those things are gone they're very hard to replace if ever and all of a sudden you know the number of voices out there we have as you say feet on the ground getting stories gathering information that's local knowledge there's nowhere to, there's no way to do it anymore and we're we're going to be con increasingly concentrated on these, you know, mega sources of information. Um, air quotes around information, of course. And yeah, it, it's pretty, it could be a pretty dark, <laughs> pretty dark uh, scenario for sure. But well, it's kind yeah. of interesting to think about. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there, but you look at ChatGPT and its its cousins are really just better at more adept at and um, smoothly mining and regurgitating the same highly questionable vast lake of data as opposed to information, right? And so you could argue that if you go and you do a Google search, as you know, as we've all done, where you get all this untrue stuff and out of date stuff that you have to sort through, you know, every time you ask a question, for example, I'm just taking one little topic, but every time you ask a question, for example, I I'm wondering how to do this in Windows. There's no discrimination or or filtering really in what you get as to whether anything's true or not and how old it is. And, you know, so you can imagine that river of stuff going into artificial intelligence, which is a highly sophisticated statistical system that then processes and reformats and uh, expresses that. But you're still based on the same river of whatever, right? Yeah. You just and, can't get to the source. You know, yeah, I mean, if you have if you have noise in a signal, to put it a little bit more technically, it kind of doesn't matter how good your speakers are. You know, um, yeah, exactly. it, uh, it, it and so it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite uh, interesting to see. But I think I think in the normal course of business and you probably see this in your travels more than I do in the normal course of business. I think there will be applications for this that actually will be very helpful and possibly in some social elements too, you know, as it, it certainly when applied to different data sources, like a, a person who's limited in their ability to express to allow this to 
take input data from them, some eventually even biologically, and express in better ways, things like that, you know. But there's also a lot of things to be concerned about. Oh, sure are. And I, I'm going to stop it there because it's just... Well, otherwise, we'll do the, the whole program on this. The more yeah. dystopian you get. So I do want to uh, leave our listeners with one tangible takeaway on this, um, just as an idea. I may have mentioned this before, but um, one of the uh, acronyms du jour, certainly in the world of speech tech, is CAI, which is conversational AI. And that's kind of the current generation of speech recognition that's actually enabling things like ChatGPT and generative AI. As important as that particular acronym is, and that's another conversation, there that acronym also stands for something called the Content Authenticity Initiative. I'm going to say it one more time. Content Authenticity Initiative, C-A-I. That's, that's the homework for anyone who's interested in saying, how can I learn more, better protect myself, do something about this? And CAI is a consortium of major media players like, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, BBC. Uh, I'm not sure if NPR is in there, but a lot of the big media agencies are part of this, as are a lot of the big tech vendors. Adobe is a big player in this, as is Microsoft. Anyways, they're they're trying to f- create some standards for validating content and basically it's a little bit like almost like digital copywriting so in other words when you create content digitally which is pretty much how everything is done now um you you have ways to validate um kind of watermark what you're doing because once it's out in the public domain your your imagery your words it can so easily be manipulated and taken out of context and you know repurposed and deep faked and you name it so they're starting to create some standards, which I think is really healthy as a way to kind of help people distinguish the real from the fake, right? The, you know, the disinformation from the information, all of that. So again, healthy things to look for. And that's something you can take home and, and think about and look at and see, is your organization doing something like this to protect its content and, and to ensure that creators can, you know, get proper credit for their work? You know, this is this is really huge foundational stuff with these new technologies we really don't fully understand the impact of yet. Well, that's true. What you been up to? What's going on? What's uh, I, what's new? Yeah. And, what's new and good? Yeah, well, there's lots new and good, and so I'll share a takeaway from my one recent travel. And I know you've got some stuff to talk about too, Chris. So um, I was recently in Boston, my my hometown, which kind of worked out nice for an industry event from hosted by Extreme Networks. And this is a really interesting company, um, may not be a household name, but it's certainly big in the networking world. And uh, they have, um, it's really good, Chris, to talk to companies that are pure plays. Like networking is all they do. And, you know, so they're all in on, on the technologies that they're getting behind. And what I found really interesting about them is, is, you know, a lot of stuff is, you know, right place, right time. And in the case of Extreme Networks, I think one of the reasons why they're doing so well is their their approach to networking technology. And I'm not a networking expert by any stretch, but they're, they're, the success that they're having is, is driven by the their understanding of the role that data is playing in enterprises right now and the importance of 
networking technology. I mean, you know of it, Chris, obviously through through HP, but you know the the kind of equipment and, and architectures that you need to manage the volumes of data that are going through organizations today. It's it's just exponentially larger than it's ever been. And what I really like hearing from them is the focus on the kind of expectations that are being placed now on CIOs and IT folks, because with so much data being generated, you know, there is a real, I think, A, there's an ROI story that they have to be able to tell to justify the investment in networking technology. What is the organization getting back from that? You know, so this, this one is the ability to handle and generate business value out of all of this data that's running around. And then, of course, you know, the issues around, you know, InfoSec, CyberSec to protect that data because it's such a valuable asset to the organization. Uh, and this, I'm sure, Chris, is first nature to your earlier lives. So I'm going to stop there because I'm sure you've got some take on that, too. Well, I mean, I don't disagree with anything that you say. I think... Um the way data is used and uh, deployed and managed is a absolutely core thing to any any organization right now. And that's almost um, irrespective of size of the organization. I mean, the problem scales with, with the size and amount that you're dealing with, but um, it's a strategic resource, not just uh, something that you have to deal with. It's It's actually core to the business. So I agree with what you're saying. I heard that there was an expedition to Fenway Park as well. Yes. And I was very happy about that because we actually had two expeditions. One was a tour of the stadium. And if you're a baseball fan, yes, it's it, it's heaven. But from a technology perspective, it's even more interesting. And that's what I want to focus on. Um, I'm a lifelong Red Sox fan and, and we had a – they, they hosted us for a game the next day, which for me um, in this decade, Chris, 2020s, uh, this is my first visit to Fenway Park. And um, I, I will unabashedly say this is my seventh decade uh, attending uh, games at Fenway Park. And I frankly can't think of anything else I've been doing my entire life that I can say is equally true. Uh, there's nothing else I've been doing that could have that extent of continuity that's how kind of hardwired the baseball experience is certainly for me but a lot of other baseball fans but anyway the thing i want to talk about is uh, the ballpark is hyper connected with endpoints from that extreme networks has there are over 800 of them through the ballpark and, and i and i posted some photos of this earlier from my visit there and we got to, because Family Park is one of their major clients, that's why we're there, right? We had their IT folks from the Family Sports Group and from the Boston Red Sox organization talking about this stuff. And Chris, I'm gonna, I, all I'm going to say is it completely transforms your thought process about why you attend a ball game anymore. And the starting point for all of this is that Major League Baseball does not issue printed tickets anymore to attend a game. You need to get it off your phone. So I had to get on the MLB.com app and get the ticket on my mobile. And that's how I got you know, attend, uh, admittance to the ballpark when we went to the game. There are workarounds for people who don't have mobile and there's 
sure a big chunk of the population like that, but the vast majority are on mobile. And once you are in the ballpark, I think for most people, their phone is on the whole time. And this network of endpoints, access points can track any and everything you're doing while you're in that ballpark. So there's data flowing over their networks about the whole experience that people are having in the ballpark. And so they can tell you at any given moment how many people are buying hot dogs, where they are in the stadium, what they're doing, what sites they're watching. And I hate to say it's Chris more cynically, but what they're betting on. And it's when you start thinking about, again, where the data is going and what kind of data is being generated, all tied to our mobile phones. It just opens up an entirely different world of how you think about what it means to go to the ballpark. I mean, Extreme's not the only one that does that. Um, of course. Aruba did it with um, Levi Stadium a few years ago, and that was one of the one of the early ones out in Silicon Valley because they had all the technologists right there, I guess. But right. um, large public venues is a huge market for technology. And uh, the more... And you're right, the more data analytics, the better, but it's also it's also very involved with being able to um, do streaming, right? So one of the reasons to have it absolutely coded with Wi-Fi and 5G, because of course they're competing to some degree as well, the carriers and the networking companies, is, is so that people can watch the game from different perspectives all the time while they're, mm-hmm. while they're sitting there, because they could stream it live in high def on their on their devices and this is apparently quite common um in these venues that are equipped like this but it's also security and safety right because there's more and more concern about you know being able to locate everybody being able to get a message out quickly to everybody being able to get people to attest that they're safe and and so there's there's multiple aspects of why for a venue it really pays to do this and yeah, exactly. And, and it stems back, you know, to the when the A's and the Giants were in the World Series and I think it was 88 or 89, they had that big earthquake during the game. Yeah. And the, the, the bridge collapsed. And so this gave a lot of rise to yeah, this, the public safety aspect to this. So when Cisco used to talk about doing this, they were going to build a ballpark for the Oakland A's, which actually I think just yesterday they announced that the <laughs> that they 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 the the franchise anyway the owners have bought land in Vegas next to the street yeah they're moving to Las Vegas to build a billion dollar stadium they're going to follow the, the Raiders they're going to follow the Raiders and the A's are going to go be their neighbors now anyway that's a sad story because I like I like the A's but anyways yeah that issue of so when Cisco back then was talking about the role networking technology can play for that fan experience it was as much about wayfinding and you know what is the most efficient or safest way to exit the building if a if a disaster happened or for example you know if there was a terrorist attack right in these soft targets like a ballpark that's okay that's a really interesting that's a very valid and important use case for having this capability but when you talk about the fan experience chris it is about watching the game and enjoying the game but in my mind it's very much about the gaming aspect of it the gambling and You're I'm probably I'm gonna, right. I'm going to stop right. there because DraftKings is a major sponsor of Fenway Park uh, uh, at the ballpark. 
and MGM Grand is the name of the facility they have where their, their event was hosted. So they're tied in big time. Now that it's only this year, right, that sports betting has been officially sanctioned now in the big sports. And it's going to, it's like, it's going to flip very quickly in, t- in terms of what it's all about. And you talk about no guardrails with ChatGPT. I think we're going on into equally dangerous territory down here in the world of sport, professional sports once gambling becomes kind of a key driver and it's not taking long. But again, there's another all, show right there, John. Yeah. There's another gonna, episode right there. I got to stop now, guys, because Chris, you got to talk about your stuff with Jeff. And anyway, you get the idea. And if this piques your interest, drop us a line because we could do episodes about a lot of these angles. All right, over to you, Chris. Well, that's all very interesting, John. And I think uh, we'll probably be talking about all of that more over time. So I'm going to just recap one event from the week that I did, that I was part of, was um, it was called Vaughn Evolution. And John and I have talked about Jeff Pulver, one of the primary figures behind the growth of voice over IP, which is how basically all telephony and multimedia communications works today. Um, so Jeff had uh, Jeff's um, event series that really catalyzed a lot of this was called Voice on the Net or Vaughn. And that he's been involved since Vaughn, the, the original version of um, Vaughn kind of came to an end around 2008. And essentially the battle was won at that point. Jeff branched out into a whole bunch of other interesting areas. One of them was Monage, which John and I were involved with a few years ago, which was trying to see where the next trends were going to be. But um, Jeff has been working recently on reviving Vaughn toward a next generation of communications. And so he put together a neat little event. It was in New York. It was about 100 people, one one room, a sequence of speakers. Nobody could talk more than 15 minutes, which made it very refreshing. And he got through a lot of content. It was just good good to see the energy in the room, which was pretty significant. Um, it was a mixture of the folks who've been speaking at these things, such as me and a few other people, and also new people, uh, younger people. And so the energy was pretty forward-looking. And uh, I, I had my 15 minutes with Future of Work, and uh, we talk about it all the time here. And my the point that I was making at the time was, no matter how you think about communications, you can't neglect the changes that are happening in the work and the workplace because there's just so it's such a big thing and it's global and even though as we always say it doesn't necessarily all affect 100 percent of the workforce there's a huge chunk of information oriented workers that it does affect and it affects real estate and it affects technology so that was what i wanted to try to get across to the audience And then there were a whole bunch of different speakers. And one of the prevailing themes was the use of blockchain in communications. And I had, I had been a little bit skeptical about that, but, you know, speaker after speaker got up there and basically put, pushed blockchain away from its stereotypical role in crypto and all Mm -hmm. of the sensationalism around crypto and was just talking about its value as a technology of trust. And so trust was a major theme of the day. Jeff talked about it too. It's like, how can we establish trust in communications? Like you and I were talking about trust with information. How do you know who's calling you? There were a couple of speakers that making strides on new ways of verifying who who's trying to get in touch with you. 
uh, or communicate with you. There were several speakers interesting about the use of blockchain and micropayments and e-SIMs and things like that to provide better mobile service to uh, folks around the world in different markets. And there was there was at least some around the improvements in location awareness, which, as you know, is a, something I try to keep pretty close to. So it was just a good day. And it was interesting that a lot of the younger speakers were very socially focused. Like, how are we using this to do good? Or what are we going to change? And that was good energy to see. So it was a good day. I think there's going to be a broader one in November. It's a couple of days. Hopefully, uh, you'll be there as well. It's going to be in New York again, Jeff says. But it was good to see the community get back together. And it was a good array of speakers and the format worked pretty well. Yeah, no, I definitely am, and intend to be there. That, that should be a bigger event. But from what you've described earlier, Chris, it sounds like it was a pretty effective gathering in terms of having enough people to make it worthwhile and new faces, right? Younger faces, people there, uh, which is really important because, you know, we, we're, we're a bit of a clique, this kind of Vaughn community from its early roots. But, you know, things have changed so much since. But a lot of us are still here. Yeah, and it was interesting to see some folks that I hadn't seen in a long time, um, really since before the pandemic, or maybe 2017, 2018, uh, pretty much all working on new stuff, because they're mostly entrepreneurial people. And so they're either working on or funding new or both new types of ventures. And, and, and so if we had looked at what many of them were working on, let's say, when we did the first Monage in 2017 they've moved on to new opportunities or, and there was some AI there as well. Um, some generative AI. Uh, so there, these are folks who do embrace trends and try to make businesses out of them. So it, it was a, it was a pretty interesting day. And I would say anybody who wants a, you know, relatively low overhead way to get together and listen to a lot of content without a lot of wasted time on slides and stuff is this is a good thing to do. Yeah, totally. Uh, totally agree. And uh, it's good to have these kind of, they're very different from certainly the, you know, the analyst oriented events that I go to, which are, you know, a very niche community, as well as, of course, the larger vendor events for partners and customers, which are more kind of circus-like and uh, not so much about thought leadership, of course. So, yeah, and that's what Jeff has always done very, very well. It's about, you know, where, where things are going and what's possible. So different kind of, uh, you know, dare to dream mode. And uh, I think, Chris, you know, we've been in this space a long time and we kind of, we know what we know very well. And it's really always, you know, interesting when you are in a room with people who are half our age, so to speak, and uh, listening to what they have to say and how they view this same world that, you know, we came from in a very different model, different realities about hardware and cost effectiveness and the, you know, the expense involved. And today, all those kind of parameters fall away when everything is basically almost free. Now it just changes everything, the business models, the, the way the technology is used. And, uh, you know, every what they're saying is just as valid as what we say, right? Yeah, I was thinking about that, John. And I think one difference is that in our lifespans, we've grown up with just a constant uh, innovation wave, right? Where it, there's something new that just 
a lot of folks in our generation have been involved in implementing the core of the new, whether it was the internet, whether it's voice over IP, microprocessors, computing. But now you've got a bunch of younger folks who are, I think, more focused on how do we use this? You know, how do we take these new technologies and really apply them to larger markets, larger causes, new applications? So it if you think about that stack where, you know, the application is at the top, I think there's a lot of interesting thinking about how where you take those applications. You know, when you have always had all this amazing technology available to you, sometimes you innovate, but a lot of times you innovate on the use cases and how do you apply it to new to new needs, you know? Yeah, to me, the big shift is economics of scarcity to economics of abundance, right? Like, like you say, the, the hard problems have been solved and now these applications are just there for them to use. And with no code, low code, you know, you, you can open source, you know, you can do a lot of the programming yourself, right? And so you can be very creative, which is pretty cool. Like, you know, the kind of innovations they come up with are pretty exciting, but um, it, it's because everything just works and uh, they're not they're not the engineers creating the capabilities. They're just applying it. And uh, but so be it, you know, wherever there's utility, that's where the money follows. Right. Yeah. You know, second, third generation of folks working on technical innovations, whatever kind of technology, whether it was manufacturing, financial, whatever electronics, software, they, they have a different focus, right? It's like, how do you apply it? How do you scale it? How do you find new ways to use it? Because it's all kind of very available to you. We could draw many analogies in many different industries. And, uh, you know, one of the sessions was about music. You know, how does music change when an infinite amount of it is available and production costs are very low and you have an almost infinite number of outlets and yet the traditional music business is very controlled. So, you know, you could almost take any industry and figure out how it's going to be mm-hmm. or predict that it's going to be disrupted. And kind of circling back to our um, original theme of, you know, future of work, you just, you know, I was listening to these sessions and I'm thinking, these are not folks who are just going to hear traditional management say, get back to work or else and just do it. They're going to invent new ways to run businesses. and you know, the old thinkers around physical space and the requirement for presence at the office all the time are going to, you know, retire, they're going. And you've got a new generation or two coming in that have just never really had to be that way. And, you know, so this old guard is just not going to hold ultimately. Totally agree. Speaking of not being able to hold, Chris, I got to take a nap. (laughs) 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 All this Big well, ideas I think, are hurting my brain. I know my brain hurts, <laughs> as Monty Python say. Yeah. Um, but um, it's all pretty interesting, right, John? And we'll just onward and upward. I'm heading over to uh, HPE Aruba Atmosphere next week. That should be very interesting. And we both are just uh, trying to process and comment and do our thing with what we see and experience, right? Exactly. So you'll be reporting on Atmosphere, and I will be reporting on the five nine analyst event which is going to be in porto portugal so that's my little four days of glam travel coming up uh, wow. in may so that's going to be fun it's going to be really nice so yep highlights coming maybe even some photos from the beach who knows okay Terrific. with that we got to go because i got to get to my 10 o'clock call
Okay, so we're at time, folks, and I will thank you now for listening, as always. Hope you enjoyed it today and that you'll continue with us as we explore the future of work on Watch This Space. You can access all of our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And if you like it, great. Leave us a review, even better, or a rating, and or as you said earlier, suggestions for new topics. So with that, I'm John Arnold. And I'm Chris Fine. Thank you, John. Thank you, everybody. Great to do another episode. And we will be back next month with another episode of Watch This Space.